0: And that is the kind of thing that any visiting speaker is supposed to say wherever they go. Sort of get everyone on their side. But it's true. I am genuinely thrilled. That's, that's honest. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here because you've been praying. And uh, this is the sixth year that you've done uh, 24-7 Prayer Week in January. I think it's as always in January. How many hands up? Who has been part of that? Who has taken that? That is fantastic. That is so exciting. So I'm genuinely thrilled to be here. It's very, very encouraging to me because um, it actually, strangely, can be difficult to get a church to pray. You know, you'd think that as we travel around, we go, you know, we should be praying. Everyone go, yeah, of course, let's get to it. But it's actually fairly difficult sometimes. That's part of my job is going around Canada and trying to stoke prayer everywhere I go. Um, the last 20 years in Canada where we've had the most success in getting people to pray has almost always been on the margins of church or outside of the church. My family and I, who come with me this morning, we live in the downtown side, and we've been in the downtown side praying for the last 20 years with our community. And I almost never encounter anybody who doesn't want to pray. When I ask people, if do you want me to pray for you? They say, yeah. Yeah, pray for me, please. I need prayer, absolutely. Give me some prayer. There's only one person ever in 20 years who consistently told me, no, don't pray for me. And she would always come up and say, I'm so sick, I'm so hurting. You know, do you have anything for me? I said, I don't have any money because I'm really, I'm broke, but, but I can pray for you. And she always oh, stop pushing your religion on me. I said, you asked, you asked me. But she would always say no. And then one day she came running out of a building as I came past and she said, can I pray for you? I said, what happened? She just met Jesus, and so she wanted to pray for me. So like, we're, we're 100% of people who want to pray, and we go into the park every morning, Oppenheimer Park. You've probably heard about it in the news. We go in the park every morning, and we pray, and people will come, and they'll say, can you pray for me? Sometimes they'll stay. Sometimes they'll, they'll walk off, but they, they do want prayer. So for 20 years, we've been very, very successful at that at reaching out onto the margins and, and praying with people, praying with people who are addicted, who are homeless, who are prostituted, and, and they, they get prayer. But churches, it's tough. It's really tough. And God this year, he, he really told us. We said, what is, he, what is it you want us to do as an organization? It's 24-7 prayer. And he said, I want you to reach out to senior pastors in churches. I said, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun. What I'm doing right now is a lot of fun, and it's easy. And I I find it very easy to have a drug dealer at my table. Senior pastor is much more difficult. (laughs) But he said, you you have been doing a great job at, at blessing those who are hurting on the outside of the church. Would you now consider blessing those who are hurting on the inside of the church? And I've said this around the world. I said, my job working with people who are addicted and homeless and prostituted for 20 years has uniquely prepared me to speak to senior pastors. Let that sink in. And to churches. But I'm so encouraged. Because, and I was talking with Andy earlier, that as I'm coming here, it feels like, yeah, you get it. And I didn't even have to come and say, you should do this. You just started. I only heard about this church praying last year. I thought, I got to get there. I got to see what, what is it that's, that's prompting you to do this. I'm, I'm so very excited about it. Because you've understood. When I go to some churches, they'll say, we're desperate. Nothing has worked. You know, we're dying. Maybe we should pray. Right? And I go, oh. Yeah, you should. But that should never be the last resort. That shouldn't be, well, we've tried everything else. Maybe give God a try. We're a church. What if we started there? What if we began praying? And, and I think everywhere I go, every Christian I talk to, every church I talk to, they understand. If I say, do you think prayer matters? Do you think prayer is important? They'll say, yeah. Prayer matters. Prayer is important. But we don't understand, I think, why prayer matters. Why it's important. And I think that's what prevents us from really giving ourselves to pray. And so I'm just so excited that, that you have already, whether you, you feel like you've got it or not, and probably most of us, if we're honest, we feel like we haven't. We haven't sorted out this prayer thing. But you're, you have acted on it. You have acted on it for six straight years. And seems like you're desiring to act on it even further. So I'm very, very encouraged by this. You're actually ahead of the curve a little bit, because as God has directed us to work with pastors and to work with churches across Canada, he's begun opening doors. So in the past, I would go and I'd try and talk to pastors, and and I would just get absolutely nowhere. There'd be just a closed door. They, they, They weren't interested. And we started trying to discern why that was. We realized there were some things that were stopping it. Pastors are really, really busy. It just feels like another thing to do. Sometimes pastors get really worried that people are going to come and try and steal people from their, their church, or, or they're wondering what, what's the theology behind this. And there's lots of reasons. So, so we just tried to eliminate those worries. And the doors have just been opening. I, I just spent a week in Ontario, again, just going and meeting people who were praying and starting to pray. There's a church in Brampton that I went and visited. And they've run, we've, we do a prayer course, and they've run this prayer course uh, six times now. And they have 50% coverage every single week of prayer from their community. And they've just bought a trailer to put in their parking lot to make their prayer room, their permanent prayer room and prayer room for the city. And this was the first time I met them. And they were so excited that I'd come and visit. I'm like, I'm going to come and visit that. Of course I am. That's incredible. And I got a call from Montreal. I've gone and been visiting there a little bit. And and the the Anglican church in Montreal said, whatever you want to do, here's a cathedral. Do you want it? Because we need we need prayer. And then another person from Montreal called me and said, we, we've got 10 churches together in the downtown of Montreal. It's it's almost all francophone. And and we're trying to get together and do some stuff. We think prayer should be right at the heart of it. Do you wanna, do you think you can help us? Montreal, I mean, Quebec has gone from 96% church attendance down to about six percent church attendance in the last 20 years. So they're desperate. So they saying maybe we should be praying about this. Um in Toronto just this last week uh, there's been a number of a lot of violence happening in the city and on Thursday they made, they did a call out this one group did a call out for people to come and pray and by Monday when they had their meeting there was about 200 pastors and prayers who had gathered together to pray and it was beautiful people do know how to pray there is this heart for this to come together and inquire of the Lord. In Hamilton, they've been praying for a long time. They have three conferences set up this year, all about prayer and mission. It's happening in Canada. There are doors opening that were not opening before. And I actually credit um, some of the prayer that's been happening here for that, for preparing the way, for getting us ready. And it was this, it was this action, it was this putting prayer as a priority that drew me to 24-7 prayer in the first place. Because I grew up in the church. I grew up going to the Salvation Army. It is sort of a church. It's not just a thrift store. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up going there, and we wore uniform, and I played a brass instrument. I don't, I've been released from that ministry now, but I did do that. And, and good godly people, and we talked about prayer, and everyone would say prayer is the most important thing. But here's kind of what I learned about prayer, is that you'd sing something before you eat, that's one time that you'd pray during the day. And then at night, um, mom or dad would come in and they'd pray. And the song that you'd sing was weird, kind of a great... Did anyone ever grow up singing grace? No? It was just us? Okay, yeah, my son, yeah. <laughs> we still do it, but we, we do better songs. Um, uh, and at nighttime, we'd pray this prayer. Uh, maybe you know it. Now I lay me down to sleep. You know this prayer? This is a weird prayer to pray for a child. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep so far so good. If I should die before I wake. <laughs> what? <laughs> I did not know that was an imminent possibility. Like, this is a prayer during plague times. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Like, that's a prayer to keep an eight-year-old up all night. <laughs> and those, there were these kind of ritualized times of prayer. And, and, and then I'd see it at church. We'd pray for ministries. We'd pray for the things that we were about to go and do, um, but prayer didn't really feel like it was central. It was just something on the edges that we would do. And and so I, I lived in England for a year back in '99 when 24/7 prayer first started. And here's how it started: there was a church, and it was like a happening church. It was a youth church, lots of crazy stuff going on, great worship bands coming out of it, lots of really kind of killer mission stuff, really cool and hip. But they realized at a certain point that they were not very good at praying. They did some reading, and they said, oh, prayer seems to matter. They weren't very good at it, and they thought, oh, that's a a problem. We should probably get good at prayer, if anything. And so they had this genius idea, and it's this, that they would pray about it. That's so smart. (laughs) We're bad at prayer. Let's pray about it. And so they set aside a room for three months. They just went hard. They said, for three months, nonstop, we're just going to pray and see what happens. And they did, and they took it an hour at a time. You're familiar with it. And this was the very first prayer room. And uh, one of the guys there, the leader, Pete Gregg, he wrote this poem on the wall. He said, the only rules are you have to pray for the person coming in, you pray for the person as they leave, and you leave something in the room. You leave a prayer in the room. So he wrote this long poem called The Vision Poem. And it begins, so a guy comes up to me and he asks, what's the vision? What's the big idea? And I turn to him and I respond, I say, the vision the vision is Jesus, dangerously, obsessively, undeniably Jesus. And it goes on. And what they had figured out was that they didn't believe in prayer. They believed in Jesus. And Jesus was calling them to fellowship with him, to commune with him, to be united with him in prayer. Prayer was the thing, the gift that was given so they could do this. And they, called, they said, we're a prayer movement for people who are terrible at prayer, which is a good tagline. And after three months, um, there was a gathering, and I happened to be there. I was blessed to be there, and they just said, uh, we've been trying this for three months. What if other people wanted to join in and pray with us? We can link you all by a website, and we can all just start praying together, uh, you know, maybe around the world. Maybe. Let's see if it'll work. We'll call it 24-7 prayer. And, uh, and, and Pete's friend said, Pete, like it was his 99. Nobody knew what a website was. It was way back then. And, and he didn't know how to do it, certainly. He was just kind of talking. A guy after the service came up and he said, I just left my job at NASA and it was to uh, create websites. Would you like me to create your website? Sure, yeah. One of many miracles that just kind of happened. But he at that point, he said, I'm going to read out the vision poem. And he brought up, actually, there was two drummers, a couple of screamers. It was a weird time. Uh, and and, uh, and he just started, and a DJ, and he just started reading out, yelling out the vision poem. And I couldn't understand half of what he was saying, but I knew that something was being born. And out of that meeting, uh, people from around the world, because there was young leaders from around the world, just went around the world and said, here's this idea, it's, it's the idea that, that prayer is central, and that we're going to budget for prayer. If, we don't, if we're not budgeting for prayer, space, time, energy, money then it's probably not central because we budget for other things. So we're going to budget for prayer. So we went back. I took it back to the Salvation Army. We ran our first prayer room in, the, in an old trailer in the back of our office, and it was amazing. And then we went. We were running a youth conference, and we got a double-decker bus. It was so British. And we parked this double-decker bus, and we made it our prayer room. And we had a couple hundred young people at this conference. And it was so frustrating because we had this really great conference planned for them, and they just... They didn't want to be at the conference. They just wanted to be in the prayer room, in the prayer bus. My, t- my time I had signed up to pray was 2 a.m. in the morning on the last day of the conference. And I, got, I went outside. I went to the prayer bus, and I couldn't even get in. It was full of teenagers praying. And I thought, huh, this might be something. I had never seen anything like that before. There was this heart for prayer. And so we brought it back to Canada and... We've run it all over the place, all across Canada. One of the first ones was at a youth drop-in center uh, in Orangeville, Ontario. All kids who were not churched, who would never show up in church. They were the problem kids in town. And we set up this prayer room, and it was full. And kids would come in, and they didn't know how to pray. And that was perfect. Because one girl came in, and she took her socks off, and she painted them, and she nailed them to the wall. And she wrote underneath, she said, God, would you bless our socks off? And she said, is that okay? I'm like, that's perfect. <laughs> and another girl, she, she drew her hand, and she, she did a bunch of copies of her hand and put it all over the wall. And then she wrote the names of her friends in the palm of the hands all around. And every time someone would come in, they would do a little check mark and say, we prayed for that person. She said, is that okay? I said, yeah. Let me show you some scripture here <laughs> that God has written your name. He's inscribed your name in the palm of his hand. They were learning how to pray just by praying, kids who had never been part of church. And by the last day of that prayer week, I was asking God, please, there was a kid who was signed up to come in and pray with me. I said, please, please let him just sleep, because I need an hour just to be with you, God, because I'm so tired from leading teenagers to Jesus. I'm so tired. I just need to, and and thank God he didn't come in. (laughs) He's all right. He's good. So it was this thing that kind of drew me in, that making prayer a priority, making prayer absolutely central. But again, why is it that we're praying? We're not just praying so that people would meet Jesus. We're not just praying so that our mission would be effective or that our church would grow. Why do we pray? Why does it matter? Well, we see this in Joshua 3, 5, when Joshua says to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is about to do wondrous things. In your midst, Consecrate means get ready. Get yourself ready, because the Lord's about to do something. Prayer is about getting ourselves ready to encounter what the Lord is about to do. Prayer is about being joined with God in what he is doing in the world. Now, consecration is a, I mean, it's kind of an old-fashioned word, get yourself ready. It doesn't tell us in that particular passage how they consecrated themselves, but it does tell us in another passage. I want to read out a little bit. It's from Exodus 24. You can follow along with me if you like. It's page 82 in my Bible, if that's of any help to you. <laughs> Most of you will have it on your iPhones and whatnot now. So then he said, this is God, God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up. With him, And they were perfectly fine with that. They didn't want to come up near the Lord. If you were to go to that time and ask just a general Hebrew person, like, where's God? They'd say, well, you see that mountain where there's all the thunder and lightning and smoke and fire? He's there. Don't go anywhere near it because you'll die. And here God is saying, all right, come on up. Come on up and and, and meet with me. Stay a little bit far away. And they're like, that's perfectly fine. We'll send Moses in. (laughs) Moses came and told the people all the word... Of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. This is the getting ready, this is the consecration. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So we're going to be doing that later because we want to get ourselves ready to meet with the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. He did not lay his hand on. That's sort of a fancy way of saying he did not destroy them. Imagine if that was your reaction every time you left church. We made it another week. You know, relatives would be calling at around 12 o'clock on Sundays. How did it go? Are you okay? Did you live? Yeah, he didn't lay his hand on us today. They had this fear of the Lord that when they met him, there was, an, there was a possibility, you know, if I should die before I wake. We've met the Lord, and they ate and they drank with him. It's a very odd passage, but they had to prepare themselves. They took it very seriously to meet with God. And as I was praying for the church in Vancouver this year, the big message that I was hearing again and again were these words. Get ready. Get ready. Prepare yourselves to fellowship with God. And this is what I would say is our created purpose, and this is the reason we pray, is to fellowship with God. This is God's desire for us, to be in communion with him. So we don't have to kill the bulls and throw the blood on each other. Our way of getting ready, we read it in Colossians 4.2. Paul, at the end of his letter to the Colossians, says, Now devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. And and it's this just time spent with the Lord. It's this preparation. I mean, I, I spent thousands of hours, no joke, in prayer rooms, including in the Main and Hastings, the Empress Hotel, maybe you're familiar with it, room 504. That was our prayer room for three and a half years, and we prayed nonstop for three and a half years in that prayer room. And I just remember sitting there, looking out the window, looking down onto Main and Hastings, seeing all the stuff that's going on there, and going, man, I could be down there doing all kinds of good, and I just, I counted up once the hours that I had spent in that room. And I just said, God, am I wasting my time here? Have you ever felt that in prayer? Have you, let's be honest. Have you ever felt that? Am I wasting my time here? And people will always say, I've had people throw it in my face. They say, well, why don't you actually do some good rather than just praying about it? And I go, let me tell you what my day is like. <laughs> but I start in prayer. Because God responded to me when I said, am I wasting my time? He said, yes. Waste your time on me. I am worth wasting your time on. Because from this place, wondrous things will happen. And you are preparing yourself, and I am preparing you in this place to be part of them. But this is what you were made for. To commune with me, to fellowship with me, to eat and drink with me. That's what you're going to do forever. You're getting a taste of it now. And that changed the way that I really understood prayer. It wasn't about, do do I make sure that I pray so that all of our ministries will be effective? That's part of it. But the smallest part of it, the real part of prayer is that God is saying, come up here, come and be with me. This is what I made you for, and I love you. And I want you to waste your time with me. And that's why I'm, I'm so, so excited that this month in Vancouver, the beginning, and, and people hadn't really talked to each other about this, is, is entirely covered in 24-7 prayer. I don't know if you know that. But the first week in the downtown East side, we filled it with prayer. And then UBC is praying, actually right now. And you folk have been praying. And there's another church that's going to be praying at the end. And it's actually leading up to Missions Fest. I don't know if, if this church participates in Missions Fest or not. But, but the, go, the, the, the idea of Missions Fest, the motto or the, the, the theme is basically consecration. Will you get yourselves ready to meet with the Lord? And it just feels like in Vancouver and across Canada, but in Vancouver, the Lord is calling us to something. And we are hearing it. And we are starting to obey. And he's telling us that prayer comes first. It is the preparation to see God do amazing things in our midst. And we know, I've seen, we've seen this all the time, that when we devote ourselves to prayer... One of the fruits of that is beautiful mission and justice. It really is. Because you can't meet with the God of mission and justice and say, I'm I'm catching your heart, and then not want to do that. That's what happens. That's the fruit of it. It's not the purpose of it, but it's fruit of it. And it happens all the time. Like, it's almost, we should just expect it now. I remember being in that prayer room at Main and Hastings once, and for three hours, that's, we do three-hour shifts, because there weren't many of us, so we had to do three-hour shifts. It was exhausting sometimes, but it was me and one other person, and we were praying, and for that three hours, the Lord restricted our prayer. I can't explain how he did, but the only thing that we were allowed to pray for was the lost. God, give us the lost. Now, try and imagine that for three hours, That's all you're allowed to pray for. God, give us the lost. The lost. We really want them, Lord. You know, just three hours. You have to figure out how to pray that for three hours. But we did three hours. We just said, God, give us the lost. We know you want the lost. Give us the lost. That's what he was putting in our hearts because that was what was in his heart. And we finished, and I walked out the door onto Main and Hastings, and I started walking down the street, and a guy in front of me was walking, and he just started going, I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm lost. And I went, oh, really? That easy? Okay. (laughs) That's how that works. Neat. You know, he told us what to pray for and then put somebody right in our way that I was prepared to lead that guy to the Lord because I had been praying for him for three hours and I didn't know him. And and we have lots of experiences like that communally. Just as we pray, we realize something has to come out of this. In the last couple months, I've been privileged to go to Beirut and to pray with a church from Syria that felt absolutely devoted and and committed to staying in Syria, staying in Damascus during the whole Civil War. They said, we will not leave because Damascus needs Christians here, even though they were on literally the ISIS hit list. They said, we will not leave. None of them were killed, which is unbelievable. And they would come and we just did some ministry because they had all lost people. And we, all, we were just doing some ministry with them. And at one point I was preaching and, and, and about Saul. You know the story of Saul on the road to Damascus and he meets the Lord. He's going to Damascus to go and arrest and have Christians killed. And as I'm preaching, I realized, oh, this is the first time I'm preaching to a congregation from Damascus who knows exactly what it's like to hear reports that someone's on the road to come and kill them. And I got a little bit scared as I was preaching this. And when part of that story is, is the Ananias, when the Lord speaks to Ananias, a Christian in Damascus, and says, Saul's coming, and you must think Ananias is going, yeah, we know. I want you to go and meet him and pray for him and lead him into the city. Are you crazy, God? And so I, I, just, I was sharing that with them, and I just said at one point, "You know who, who amongst us here will be Ananias? And they sat in that for a moment, and they are a praying people. And one man stood up, and in Arabic, he just said, "Ana," which means me. And then every one of them started standing up and going, "Ana, Anna, Anna. From this place of prayer, from meeting Jesus, we know that we'll be the people to go out and meet that person on the road who intended to kill us. And we want to lead him to the Lord. And I got to go down to the southern border of Mexico. To pray in some of the refugee settlements down there. And I know that this church has been working with refugees. Thank you so much. And I believe that comes out of a place of prayer. And I say to people all the time. If we meet with, with the God who loves the poor. And we come out of those prayer meetings not loving the poor more. Then it's possible we did not meet God. I know that's a harsh saying. But I think it's true. I think we are changed into Christ's likeness as we meet him. And so thank you so much for the work that you were doing in welcoming and hospitality. So I got to go and pray. And I had this doubt for a moment. Do people really want me to come and just, all I'm doing is praying. I'm not bringing anything else. I can't offer them a road up to Canada. I can't do this. And everybody I met just said, oh, yes, please pray. Please pray. We met prayer warriors in the camps. I was in a camp on the southern border, Mexico and Guatemala, late at night. It looked like Oppenheimer Park, honestly. And I did not want to go. I was tired. I felt very doubtful. And I just, I'm going to have to do some more translation work. My Spanish is not great. We got into the camp, and the only people I met were French-speaking Africans on the southern border of Mexico. And they were so excited to meet someone who spoke French and could pray with them in French. The Lord is moving us into these places of mission and justice, but it's from the place of prayer. And it totally changes how we view those things. It's not an agenda that we've got that we're asking God to bless. It's meeting with the Lord in fellowship and God saying, this is what's on my heart. So here's the dangerous thing about what you've been doing, about praying and about wanting to continue to pray. We don't control what God does. We meet with the Lord and we say, hey, it's just enough for us that you don't lay your hand on us. But what are you calling us to? What do you want us to do? And you know what the best evangelism in the world is? Christians who meet Jesus, and they walk out of that meeting and their face is shining. In the downtown side, it happens a lot. I remember my wife used to go into a hotel to run a cell group, and people would literally say, when you walk in the door, it's like there's the sun is shining, and it was all dark before. But there's something about your face, and it's not just that she's beautiful that she has been staring in the mirror of Jesus. and She's reflecting some of that. I could feel it as I walked in this church. I'm not that genuinely that you have been praying and meeting with Jesus. There's something different that happens. We've had people walk into prayer rooms and just fall down because the presence of God is palpable. And when you've met God and you walk out on the street, when you walk into your family, when you walk into your school, when you walk into your business, people will notice because we will be changed in that place of meeting. And that's what we tell mission teams when they come to the downtown side. We say, look, your job is not to go and parcel out sandwiches and parcel out little bits of Jesus. Please don't do that. Start by praying and meeting Jesus, becoming familiar with his voice. And then we want you to go out onto the streets, <clears throat> shining like Jesus. And we want you to go and find Jesus on the streets. Go find where he's already doing stuff, because you've started to recognize what he sounds like. And then go love him. We give groups signs saying free prayer. We send them to Maine and Hastings with the sign saying free prayer. And they're terrified. What if somebody comes and asks for prayer? <laughs> what if nobody comes and asks for prayer? <laughs> and we have a group of locals who saw this once. And they saw the sign. They saw how scared they were. And they went up to them. And they said, oh, you guys want free prayer? We can pray with you. And they stood on the corner of Maine and Hastings sharing Jesus from a place of prayer. I can tell you so many stories like that from around the world. Of just evangelism, mission, justice made easy. Not, it's still costly. But the cost is putting ourselves in the place of receiving what God wants for us. And then it becomes joyous. We know that devoting ourselves to prayer leads to mission and justice. But it begins in this place of prayer. And that's why the disciples, when when they'd already seen Jesus killed and resurrected, and the last instructions he says is, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They said, we want to get to it. We've seen some amazing things. He said, not yet. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to wait. You need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And they're like, we really want to just get out and do the stuff. He's like, no, wait. And the Spirit falls on them. And then immediately they go out. And they're so filled with the Spirit that everyone thinks they're drunk. And I love the response. They say, No, it's only nine in the morning. We haven't had time to get drunk yet. It's just a little, I mean, have you read that? It's such a weird saying, but they're like, No, it's not that. Obviously, it's only nine. But imagine if that was the response when we left church. People going, Oh, there they go again, Granville Chapel, just drunk again. You know, they met with the Lord, and they say, well, no, and now we're speaking. In other, they've spoken the languages of the people there. And, and, and then it says in Acts 2, 42 to 47, and they devoted themselves to prayer. They didn't devote themselves to mission. They did mission, but they devoted themselves to prayer and to fellowship, to the apostles' word, and to the breaking of the bread. They devoted themselves to this fellowship, to this communion, because they understood this is what we're made for. And then if we go to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 4 Again, we hear the words, just like in Exodus 24, the words in Revelation 4 to John the seer are, come up here. Come up into the throne room. And he comes up into the throne room, and again, it's like a sea of glass, he says. And and he meets with the the, the heavenly throne room, and everybody is worshiping and praying and and loving God 24-7, all the time. He starts to see, this is our created purpose, to always be saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This is good. This is what we're made for, to eat and drink with the Lord together. We are preparing for that. And all of creation is actually waiting for this. They're groaning in anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And how will they be revealed? By our love for God. By our communion with God, through that our love for one another, and then our mission and justice into the world. This is the great purpose of prayer. This is what you were participating in last week, and I want to encourage you to continue participating in. It isn't about having a room. It's about each of us being a 24-7 prayer room where we are walking around everywhere we go and praying. We had one guy say to us, look, maybe that hour in the prayer room is the one time of the week where you're not praying. It's that time of the week where you're just looking at God and being, being prepared to walk out and to be a living, breathing prayer room. So thank you so much for how you have been praying, for how you have been serving the Lord, loving him as you love those who are vulnerable and hurting. I'm so encouraged I want to help this church go deeper. That's part of my job. What a great job that is. To go deeper into that place of prayer and mission and justice. I'm available for that. But keep going. Keep at it. I just want to encourage you. Keep at it because this is what you were made for. And it's so, so good. Can I pray with you? Father, I am so thankful that you have called us to come up here, to come and be with you. And we tremble because you are awesome. And it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We know this, and we know ourselves. We know who we are. We're kind of like Isaiah standing in your throne room going, Whoa, unto me. I'm a person with unclean lips. I know this, and yet, God, you call us. You call us to come up. And you call us to come and say, instead of woe is me, you call us to say, worthy are you. Worthy are you. To take our eyes off of ourselves and to set our eyes on you. And to see that we are welcome. I thank you for this time of this last week where this church has been praying and seeking you. But help us always to remember that you have sought us first. You took the first step towards us. You said the first word. You made the first invitation. We are simply responding, and we are welcome. We are welcome to approach your throne of grace with boldness because of what you've done for us. Jesus, this is about you. It's not about our efforts. It's about you, and you are worthy. Continue to invite us to join you in prayer, Jesus, to be united with you, In your love for the Father, in your love for the brothers and sisters, and in your love for the world, in your love for the lost, transform our hearts. Make us like you, Jesus. And thank you, Father.